again, going back to how Anchor was started by our two co-founders, they really brought a retail mindset. You know, what does the consumer want? And how can I generate foot traffic to, to walk through our door? And bringing that to, to healthcare means what does the patient want <laughs> and how can I capture that patient and how can I keep them in our system? I do think we've been seeing that change and that evolution over the last several years. And I think it's one that we'll continue to see. And if you're a provider, you want to be the, the trusted provider and the, the one-stop shop for a patient in their community. And I do think that real estate plays an important role in being part of that solution in helping to be a representation of their brand and helping to ensure that they're getting the traffic that they're after in each market. This is the Providers, Properties and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Our episode today is the second part of the interview with Ben Oaks, Chief Executive Officer of Anchor Health Properties. In this episode, Ben discusses how Anchor addressed the pandemic effects with its tenants, how healthcare companies are designing future spaces with flexibility in mind, and how practices can use their healthcare real estate to elevate their brands and become patient-centric. In last week's episode, he shared the background of Anchor Health Properties, the story behind two recent projects, and what Anchor Health looks for in an opportunity and where. done a lot with Anchor Health since you've joined them, but where do you see Anchor Health in the next three to five years? Yeah, I see us staying disciplined, working with good partners and delivering results in a partnership-like manner. Our vision is to be the best healthcare real estate firm in the country. I like and it. I love it. In order to, to do that, <laughs> we've got to innovate, innovate, innovate. Yeah. Uh, in fact, one of our core values is, is innovation. Our core values are accountability, innovation, collaboration, honesty and humility, and ownership mentality, and being relationship-focused. And so that's something that if you're a team member here at Anchor, you, you hear quite often. It is a very competitive world out there in, in development and investment and acquisition, as, as I know my peers uh, would, would certainly attest to. And uh, I think innovation in, in this industry is critically important. Yeah. Well, I think partnering together and being a right fit for the provider and the a healthcare company, it, it makes a huge difference. And if it's a painful fit, it's going to always be. Uh, but if it's a good fit, it is innovative and it's an exponential partnership. I mean, it just, it, it's a success in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's interesting in this business, uh, as I noted, it's, it's extremely competitive but I, I think in general, if you dig a little bit deeper, it, it's funny, almost when, when we're going in and doing pitches, we all know each other <laughs> and, and generally most of us are, are pretty good friends. At the oh yeah, absolutely. And so that's, that, I think that's really wonderful. 
It sometimes well. makes my life as a broker a little difficult because I know you guys like text each other as you're competing on properties. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's right. That's absolutely right. Um, so with the pandemic, how has that affected your business lines and, you know, kind of what have you guys learned and may have changed as a result as we move through it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So the, the pandemic certainly was a shock to the system, particularly when healthcare is recession resistant. But I don't know that any of us thought that hospitals would literally close down. They're the ones who are supposed to be treating everyone and, and their income's not affected. But of course, uh, elective procedures and typical clinical visits were, were canceled for a period of time, as, as you recall. Yeah. Uh, for us, in terms of uh, you know, we have three verticals, development, management, and then investments. And each one was affected. But on the management side, where we're collecting rent checks, we have about 7 million square feet across the country, just healthcare. I'll, I'll give you some stats. Typically, we collect 96 to 98% of what we bill every single month, you know, during the course of a month. And that 2 to 4% is someone who's got a direct bill for something or there's a trailing cam reimbursement or there's a rent increase that wasn't picked up, et cetera. So generally the the overall delinquency rate is extremely small in in healthcare real estate. We often collect 90% of our rent by the 10th of every month and 95% of our rent by the 15th of every month. So what what happened when the pandemic hit, the collection rate fell behind by 10 to 15% on those numbers. Um, And that happened really during April and the first part of May. But by the end of May, largely most folks had caught up. And by late summer, we were really back to pre-pandemic levels. So that's what we experienced on the management side. We have folks who spent a lot of hours <laughs> uh, trying to make sure that rent checks were coming in and working with health systems and, and physician groups to manage through uh, those challenges. And I think, of course, the the uh, PPP and the CARES Act was passed, and that helped both our physician tenancy as well as health systems to um, have more confidence yeah. in catching up on, on their rent. In terms of development, we had some projects that went away and some that went on hold. And then strangely enough, Tricia, some that came out of nowhere. (laughs) And I I remember one week in May, mid-May, we had four RFPs hit my desk in in a single week and was kind of baffling. I thought, wow, okay, these guys are back. Um, On the investments front, we had some challenges with, particularly in the lending community. You know, of course, banks don't just lend against healthcare real estate. And so even when healthcare real estate's performing, they might have exposure, well, they often do have exposure uh, to several other real estate sectors. And so I think that the, the lending market is continuing to thaw, but spreads certainly are wider, uh, much, much wider than what they were pre pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, that isn't that interesting. Every day is different in our business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Definitely don't know what to expect. You know, one other thing to, to note, you were just talking about how the pandemic 
affected anchor. Yeah. Um, I should note our property management team in particular just really stepped up and went the extra mile in making sure that we had terminal cleans every time that there was a COVID case that was developing and or that was reported in a certain facility. You know, lots of long hours and trying to make sure that HVAC was aligned with operating hours of, of the tenancy and uh, that everyone had what they needed at, at that point in time. So the property management team really stepped up. And then interesting enough, one of the things that's been kind of fascinating to me is I have not seen a lot of wholesale changes in design on the development front. And a lot of the architecture firms were quick to come out with, here's how space is forever changing. <laughs> and here's a new floor plan. And let's throw away everything that historically we've done. I think certainly there are some minor impacts here and there, but there also seems to be a sense of, I don't need to go build a new building now <laughs> just because of the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it's, so those conversations are common too, um, you know, in, in, with real estate, you're like, you know, the time horizon to build a new building, even if it goes at lightning speed and the municipalities are work well, all the teams that need to do, you know, I think the fastest you could probably do it is 18 months to two years. And that's if everything goes well and a lot of things are in line. So therefore, you know, you're these huge multi-million dollar changes, if not more to medical buildings for a pandemic that while it's been longer than we wanted, it will pass <laughs> to make, make these changes that are going to cost a ton of money and, and have a time horizon. That's probably a lot longer than the pandemic is going to last. It doesn't make any economic sense. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's also interesting though, health systems are seen with more folks working at home. I do think that it's given renewed attention to those who don't have an ambulatory care strategy mm -hmm. to say, how can I make sure that I'm serving rooftops mm -hmm. in you know, this or that community? And so that if, a health system or a physician group is not already servicing a certain zip code that uh, that's important to them, mm -hmm. then I, I think that there has been renewed attention, particularly on where they need to be mm -hmm. uh, as more folks are, are truly working at home. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, I, I'm, I'm really excited to, um, I mean, that's kind of my next question, which I think you just answered, you know, how do you think the coronavirus and pandemic will impact the future of healthcare real estate. I do think it's uncovered some gaps that will be filled as a result, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there probably are, are going to be, I guess one of the things that we're seeing is that health systems are thinking about their space from a long-term flexibility standpoint. So we're going to move forward with this service, but what happens if the service changes and we need to pivot? And, and those are a bunch of exercises that did occur during the pandemic. You know, there were several different articles and, and we had several conversations with a bunch of our health system partners of, okay, if we need to uh, convert this space uh, that, that we already have or there's shelf space somewhere else and we need to add more beds, how can we do it in that? And how long will it take? So I think that, you know, there's going to be more intentionality regarding thinking through 
potential future uses and options for uh, everybody's facilities. Well, I think that uh, I think a lot of hospitals are going to, if they haven't already, well, they're probably starting to, but once they can catch their breath after the pandemic, I'm pretty sure that all of them are going to have a pandemic playbook that they develop and put in place <laughs> so, that, so that the next one that comes, they just execute instead of having to create the playbook as they're trying to execute. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it'd be interesting. You know, one of the things that you were saying, you know, talking about how facilities are changing and I, I think at the recent BOMA conference, they, the providers there were actually saying not necessarily changing their current facilities, but that their new facilities they want to have not necessarily in such a clinical setting, but more in like an experience and lifestyle setting, which I thought was an interesting takeaway. On, on, and it'd be interesting to see how that, that works and plays out. But I see that as a trend that uh, you know, I think we'll all be addressing as well. Yes. Again, going back to how Anchor was started by our two co-founders, they really brought a retail mindset. What does the consumer want? And how can I generate foot traffic to to walk through our door? And bringing that to to healthcare means what does the patient want? (laughs) And how can I capture that patient? And how can I keep them in our system? And so I do, I do think we've been seeing that change and that evolution over the last several years. And I think it's one that we'll continue to see. And, you know, you want to be, if you're a provider, you want to be the, the trusted provider and the, the one-stop shop for a patient in their community. And I do think that real estate plays an important role in being part of that solution and helping to be a representation of their brand and helping to uh, ensure that they're getting the traffic that they're after in, in each market. Well, and I think as um, you know, the I think as preventative healthcare is more emphasized and therefore, you know, I think that there's more demand for it. Typically, medical office has always been only in medical clinical settings because there are practices that serve very sick patients and those patients don't necessarily want to go through a large crowd or whatever. But if, you know, the preventative care isn't necessarily, you're not necessarily sick, you're just, you know, monitoring your health, making slight improvements. And that can be in a place where, you know, you can go to your a wellness appointment and then grab lunch and go, you know, do something else. And, and it can in, integrate into a setting. So, you know, I think as the preventative healthcare um, theme does, you know, start to, we actually see it become more prevalent. I, I do think that making these kind of lifestyle healthcare situations, um, a reality can happen. Yeah. I, I think, you know, one of the things that comes to mind for me, if you've seen, I think in particular on the West coast, I've, I've seen these more often, but capital one has the banking cafes. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, it's a, it's a coffee shop, but you you can do your banking there as well. I think that there are elements of that type of thinking that can also be applied in the future of healthcare. Well, and I think it goes to, if, you know, I do think there's going to be this mixed remote work for, for those that can, and, you know, being able to have these areas that you do your work while you're waiting for something, instead of just having to wait in line, I think they're going to serve a need. You know, I think that that's one thing we could all benefit from. Probably the the thing I continue to hear most common from friends and family uh, whenever they go visit the doctor is, or they're going to the hospital 
they're always talking about waiting. And I think if, if health systems are able to, to figure out how to better manage the waiting process and, and perhaps it's just better communication on what to expect, but yeah, I think yeah. it would certainly serve everyone well. Well, great. Well, Ben, we're going to move into the Q&A so we get to know you a little bit. What was your first job? Yeah, so I grew up in a relatively rural area outside of Charlottesville, and my first job was actually mending fences and cutting weeds from crop rows on a farm across the street. So that that was my first one. My first true, what I would call W-2 job was as a janitor, believe it or not, at uh, the Covenant School, which is a, a private school I went to. Uh, for high school here in Charlottesville. I worked as a janitor there the summer before I entered high school, scraping gum off lockers and waxing and and stripping floors and and so forth. I had a a passion to put myself on a different trajectory than the route I otherwise would have have been lined up for being in more of a rural county. And uh, they gave me an opportunity to earn some additional money to help me attend that school while also providing significant academic uh, scholarship and financial aid. So it's forever grateful, but I, I definitely started on the bottom rung. That is awesome though. I mean, the, the things that you learned during that process are probably incredibly priceless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that I wish that, that I would that I, I go back there, but I am very thankful for the experience that, that I had to, to learn that and to work at a number of different jobs. And I think thematically throughout my life to date, there've been a lot of great uh, people who've been very generous and taken a chance on me and, and given me a shot. And certainly I think we, we all need that. And I will, will readily admit that I've been the beneficiary of that uh, time and time again. Well, let me ask you, when, you're, when your property management um, team knows that you're going to be touring a building and that you know you, you have a level of detail that probably most don't, do you think that they go in and make sure that it's spotless? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm sure there, there's some of that. Uh, I think that there's probably some of that that uh, they may be surprised by what I notice, though, as well, uh, if they don't fully know my background. Yeah. Uh, certainly when, when you've done it, you start to have an eye for it and it always sticks out to you in the future. So yeah. What would you be doing for a living if you were not in the healthcare real estate industry? Yeah, that is a, a great question. And candidly, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember exactly where I was sitting when I first learned about this niche sector. And as I mentioned earlier, I knew from that exact moment, that is my calling. I never dreamed of or had a passion for really doing anything else. I talked about some of the reasons why I, I love the industry. So if I did something else, I think that a lot of those, those same elements would, you know, and commonalities and working towards a common good and improving the community and having benefits that you can see and, and they're tangible and, and pervasive would definitely need to apply. Over the years, I've been a part of growing Anchor, an area that I discovered that I previously wasn't aware of within myself. And and when I began my career is really the ability to use my gifts and skill sets to create and grow a company with a strong organizational culture. 
Uh, and so we're, we're not perfect, but I think that we have a really good thing going. And that's something that's also really exciting to me is beyond just the, the day-to-day work, but the culture and the type of organization that we've been building. So it would have to be something that checked all those boxes and not saying it couldn't exist, but it's definitely not on my radar now. Yeah. I would say we don't see ourselves like other people do, but I think that, you know, your vision and your leadership and continuing to pursue challenges, I mean, that starts with you and being able to work your way through the problems. And um, it just has the company grow and learn to be better. Yeah, that, that's right. And it can become certainly very burdensome if you dwell on it. <laughs> but, but you're right. I, I think it's important. I, I do believe everyone is is a leader in some regard. And, and I think that that uh, burden of really making sure that we're setting a standard for others uh, in whatever role that we're in is critically important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what vacations are for, <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to come back and be refreshed. So what or who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration? Yeah, I, there, there's a lot. Uh, daily reads for me, usually include the Wall Street Journal and a conglomerate of news from Apple News, which I've really enjoyed since, since they launched that service. Uh, some of my favorite magazines are Inc. and Fortune and Architectural Digest. In terms of information and inspiration, I'm a member of an organization called YPO, uh, Young Presidents Organization, and the resources provided on the YPO networks have been fabulous over the course of the last 10 months of COVID. Certainly just basically a a bunch of peers who are all (laughs) in in the same boat together trying to figure out uh, uh, what's next. And so that that was tremendous for me and and still is, but particularly over COVID, that was a great resource for me to to lean on. And over the last several years, I haven't had the, the opportunity to really sit down and read a lot of books favoring podcasts instead. But in the last two years, I've discovered that I could listen to an audiobook similar to a podcast. And so that's been a great way to catch up on reading while also getting exercise or, or while driving. And so a couple of the more memorable reads that I've enjoyed recently have been Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, The Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, and then uh, Ben Horowitz has a couple of books, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, and what you do is who you are. That I think that those are all great reads. I do listen to a lot of podcasts and I really enjoy those. It's almost like reading a magazine article rather than reading a book. Yeah. And so the, the Wall Street Journal daily podcast is usually pretty good. I listen to Masters in Business by an investor, investment manager named Barry Riddles. And uh, I listen to this one. I listen to uh, Hall Renders as well. And one by a guy named John O'Leary called Live Inspired. And then Michael Lewis, uh, the, the writer, he has done a couple of podcasts that are also worth checking out called Against the Rules. So those nice. are a few. Just a few. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Uh, what is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Well, I, I need to get daily exercise, but I'm not as disciplined at working uh, that in as my wife, who always manages to find an, an hour every day. Um, but I, I try to make sure that I work in time for a run or a long walk or 
hopping on the Peloton or actually new to my regime since this summer. I actually have tennis lessons twice a week, uh, at least for now. And I've never really played before, but I've really enjoyed learning and enjoyed the exercise that I've been getting from it. So that's been really good. Yeah, I've gotten into pickleball, which um, is a lot of fun. It's kind of ping pong and tennis together, sort of. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I hear rave reviews about it. I've never played, but it's it's something that uh, is on my radar. Yeah, yeah. So are leaders born or are they trained? <laughs> well, let's see. I, I think that we're all leaders in, in some respect. So it, it probably depends on your definition of a, of a leader. But I, I think that there's certainly elements of both. I think some people are, we would all say that they're a naturally born leader just instinctively. And then those who are able to marry that up with some great training as well can go on to do exceptional things. Mm -hmm. And I think that even those who might not consider themselves leaders, if they receive the, the right training and nurturing and can find it within themselves to step out and be bold once in a while, that they can succeed and, and do things beyond what they ever dreamed as well. So I'd have to say that it's that it's both, but there's there's a leader within all of us. No, I totally agree with that. I totally agree. Well, Ben, I think this has been a wonderful interview. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.